gentlemen, to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me right now, Arif Dean, and later on in the show, you'll hear us go to Peter Ball of The Athletic and uh, get some of his insights from today's practice. But the playoffs are here. The playoffs are here. Wake up, Mr. Sackick. The playoffs are here. The Avalanche are going to oh, be man. facing the Nashville Predators here starting Tuesday, 730 it's, I'm excited. It's the it's that time of the year, right? Since about the trade deadline, it's just been waiting for this moment, waiting for this moment, and here we are. I guess real quick, let me pull back the curtain. If my voice sounds different, I was at a wedding last night. I got down. <laughs> One of my best friends of, of all my life got married, so I, uh, I went pretty hard. But here I am to break down some abs hockey with you heading into the playoffs. Excited to be here. I know Arif is as well. Yeah, and to pull back the curtain on my end, I am obviously in Detroit. I took a red-eye flight literally at the conclusion of Game 81 against the Nashville Predators, and I will be back literally a few hours before Game 1 of the Stanley Cup playoffs on Tuesday. So Avalanche Predators Tuesday, 9.30, well, 7.30 p.m. uh, Mountain Time at Ball Arena. Uh, I'm pumped, man. I'm so excited. For the first time in three years, we have a real Stanley Cup playoffs. I know it's May. It should be like April 10 or 11. But we got real playoffs. We got four rounds. We got 16 teams. We got, you know, not necessarily locker room access, but player access. We got full capacity crowds everywhere, not just Vegas and everybody else being jealous that they have a full crowd. And we got 4,000 fans. Like, it's real. This is the real playoffs. No COVID, no issues. That was all three, four, five months ago. The real thing is back for the first time since 2019. I'm so excited. Yep, it's pom-pom time. And yeah, last thing real quick, you weren't lying, right? That game had to go to overtime just to mess with you that night. You were trying to catch your flight after the game. Everybody in that press conference was getting stressed out for you. and I was so stressed. I was was stressed. I was stressed because everybody was stressed because I did the math in my head and I'm like, I got a 1 a.m. flight. If I leave Ball Arena at 1045 and head straight to the airport and park my truck and get to the get to my gate, you know, security is going to be empty. I'll be fine. And then at like 1015, Kale McCarr and uh, I forget who else spoke, JT Comfer, I want to say they spoke and they finished. And I'm looking around and everybody's like, dude leave i was like okay so i just got up and left at like 10 15 and that gave me about a half an hour to spare when i was at the airport which was nice got some food hung out a little bit but yeah it was it was pretty exciting i'm literally just trying to make the most of this weekend before we get back for game one um but i'm so pumped man i like the playoffs have been on my mind i'm supposed to be unplugged for the weekend and here i am recording a podcast my mind is just thinking about hockey the fact that we're going to get the real thing, dude. Like, this is legit. Like, let me let me say something that I don't remember if I've said it on a past episode before. Everybody remembers Game 6 versus San Jose. Connor McGahee's, oh, captain, my captain, do you know the way to San Jose? Because that's where Game 7 will be or whatever. Think of when that was. That was the last full-capacity playoff game at Ball Arena, and it was called Pepsi Center. That's how freaking long it's been, and that's what we're going to get Tuesday. So yeah, and oh, captain, my captain will be back as well. So it's it's great. And that's exactly what I was about to get into. Right. They got a, <laughs> a little bit of a revenge series from that 2000. What was it? 17, 18 when Nashville bounced them out of the playoffs. I think that was when we saw the hamburger net for uh, for Colorado. But yeah, it looks like yep. they're really uh, getting a healthy lineup heading into uh, game one here. So excited to hear about that. I know uh, Peter and yourself broke it down for us immediately after practice today, and that's what we'll get to here in a little bit. But just looking ahead at the series with the Avs coming in with a healthy lineup, I mean, the confidence has to be high, despite the fact that the Predators kind of won the season series against Colorado. They've shown that they can beat this team, but I think 
the Avalanche also have shown that, uh, you know, in those games prior, they didn't really have their full lineups like they're about to. Yeah, so if you look back at the four games against Nashville, the Avalanche were 1-1-2. and two. Uh, One of the losses was the last one at home, which I believe Darcy Kemper started, but that was the other day. It was the shootout. Uh, another one of the losses was the one where er, where Nashville got that, let's call it a phantom too many men penalty in overtime and won a three-on-three overtime game. And then the third Nashville win was the COVID game where everybody and their mother on the Avalanche was sick. Literally right before puck drop and the Avalanche played with a shortened lineup and Pavel Francouz started his first game in the NHL in almost two years. So Nashville's feeling good about themselves. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying... Despite how they won, Nashville has to be feeling good about themselves. Uh, and despite how they lost for the Avalanche, or despite the fact that the Avalanche lost, they're not sweating it. So both teams are going in with a ton of confidence. This isn't like a season series where the number one seed versus the number eight seed and the number one seed beat the number eight seed four times and and smoked them three of the times. And Nashville's like, yeah, we have no chance. They're looking at themselves and saying, yeah, there were some crazy things that happened, but we won three times against this team. We can win four out of seven. And the Avalanche are going in with the same mindset. That always is kind of the way that you go into the playoffs, no matter where you're seated. We all heard Ryan O'Reilly last year say, we're going to go out, we're going to beat them, and we're going to have fun doing it or something like that. And they didn't win a game. I mean, you have to have that confidence, and and the National Predators should have that confidence. That's kind of where the pickle lies for Colorado right now, right, is the Predators beat them extremely recently. Just last week we saw it happen. And even before that game, Colorado wasn't exactly playing strong. They didn't really end the season on a strong note of course it was kind of more of a coast time let's get ready to head into the playoffs so I guess the number one question I think on my mind and any avalanche fans mind right now is are you confident that this team can flip the switch and get into playoff mode here yes next question <laughs> okay, no, I'm serious. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Jared Jared tries to do that and then he remembers he's the nicest human on the planet and gives <laughs> yeah. you five minute answers. Yeah. Um so I uh, I'm not worried. The Avalanche aren't worried. They rested a lot of guys. Uh, they cleaned up a little bit of the issues they had. They're like, let's face it, dude. That last week and a half season, uh, uh, last week and a half of the season was so boring and so useless that like we tried so hard to make a storyline out of something because there was nothing to talk about. Like we haven't podcasted in a week for a reason. There's just nothing to talk about before you know the season wrapped up. Games 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82. Like nothing was happening there. The only thing that was going on was a president's trophy race that clearly the Avalanche didn't really give much of a shit about because they kept resting players, understandably so. And the team that beat them for the president's trophy, um, do you think the Florida Panthers feel any bit of like stress or worry heading into round one against a very hot Washington Capitals team in Alex Ovechkin? Do you think on like on the outside looking in, are you thinking, oh, Florida should feel worried at all or no? I would say so. Okay. Now, do you think that they're confident that they can flip the switch? I think absolutely. But see, that's the difference is Florida kind of ended the season riding high. Yeah. Did, did you see Florida score for game 82? Yeah. But who was in net there? It doesn't matter. <laughs> they rested guys. It really matters. Yeah. So like, that's the thing. No, but the reason why I'm saying that, and I love that. Yeah, it was Jonas Johansson. But the reason why I'm saying that is like the Florida Panthers aren't going into the playoffs thinking, holy shit, we just lost 10 to two as the number one seeded team to the number 32 seeded team. We let in 10 goals. They're thinking, eh, the game didn't matter. We coasted. We cruised. We rested a bunch of guys. Whether one of those guys was the goalie or not, we rested a bunch of guys. And playoffs are going to come and we'll be fine. So 
if you're the Avalanche, you rested a bunch of guys, you coasted into the season, into the playoffs, you didn't give a shit about those last few games, when the playoffs start, we'll turn it on, we'll be ready to go. So it's the same idea to me. Like, people are sitting here like the Avalanche are the only team that went into the playoffs with like a, what the fuck? When the Florida Panthers let in 10 goals as the President's Trophy winners to the number 32 team in the NHL, no matter who was in net, no matter how many guys were rested, it still looks a little weird when you look at that and... If you're an Avalanche fan, you're thinking, oh, the Panthers are riding high. If you're a Panthers fan, you're like, eh, maybe we also kind of did what you did at the end of the year. So, like, I don't think the Avalanche are worried. Uh, I think they can turn that switch, and uh, I think they'll be fine. Right on. Well, moving on, I, I wanted to kind of look, because, you know, I think everybody kind of has their fingers crossed that it's going to be a Colorado versus Calgary Western Conference final, right? So um, I think the the real discussion is looking at the different paths to that conference final right i mean you saw that minnesota game with colorado the other night that yeah. was violent yep you know the predator series is going to be violent so if you're looking at the 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 different paths to the finals or even western conference finals of the flames and the avalanche i mean which would you rather have right now i guess what i'm saying is don't you feel like colorado definitely has an uphill climb and it's, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle where, where I feel like Calgary, not saying, you know, I don't want to throw any shade at the Edmontons and the L.A.s out there, but I just feel like they're definitely going to have the easier walk. So yes and no. Um, yes, because of the straight, I mean, the straight up Dallas, Nashville, uh, Nashville, Nashville shouldn't have blown what was seemingly a stranglehold on the first wildcard spot. The reason why they did, in my opinion, is because of exactly what we're going to talk about in a little bit. It's their goaltending issue that they suddenly have. Um, but on that note, Dallas, Nashville, it's a wash. If you're Colorado and Calgary, you should beat Dallas, Nashville, Nashville, Dallas, whichever one you face. Going into round two, of course, the Avalanche have a higher climb. The Avalanche are first in the West. Calgary is third in the West. Minnesota second. St. Louis is fourth. So... Calgary is on the other side. Colorado, after the first round, is either going to play the second best team in the West or the fourth best team in the West. And if Minnesota beats St. Louis, you're going to have a one versus two of the Western Conference uh, of the Western Conference playing in the second round. So yeah, it is going to be a higher, higher uh, hill to climb. Now, in terms of the other series, Edmonton, LA, I really, really genuinely think and kind of hope but genuinely believe that the Edmonton Oilers are going to do well in the playoffs this year. They have been on an upward trajectory since they hired Jay Woodcroft to coach. Mike Spith has been exceptional. I think he's 9-0-1 in his last 10. He's won eight or nine straight at home. He has been awesome. McDavid might have just put up the quietest 123-point season I've ever seen in the NHL where we're all like, yeah, Hart Trophy, A, B, C, D, and we're like, uh, McDavid. Um, <laughs> so we keep forgetting about this guy. Uh, they're playing very, very well. They have a lot of depth. L.A. without Drew Doughty is going to be tough. Um, so Edmonton is going to beat them, and then there is nothing in my mind that says Calgary-Edmonton is going to be an easy series for anyone. So... I would say, obviously, the Avalanche have a little bit of a higher hill to climb just because of that St. Louis, Minnesota thing. But like Nashville might be a notch better than Dallas and Minnesota, St. Louis might be a notch better than Edmonton, but not by much. They're both going to be brutally violent series and a lot of fun and very entertaining. And I mean, who's to stay? I mean, I keep using Minnesota as the example. There's no clear cut favorite in the Minnesota, St. Louis series. But like if it's Minnesota and if it's Edmonton, like both of those teams can beat Colorado and Calgary. But 
In terms of who has an easier route, I would say yes, Calgary, but not by enough that, you know, if Calgary beats Colorado, anybody should sit back and be like, well, the Avalanche had a tougher road to the Stanley Cup, to the Western Conference Final. That's why they lost. That's not really the case here. Fair enough. I like that take. And I, I don't want to disrespect the Dallas Stars at all, right? I mean, I know they're they're kind of labeled as a one-line team, but I think they know how to play a rough-and-tumble game. They're well-coached, and they have some decent goaltending, so they, they could easily surprise yeah. and maybe give Calgary a harder run for their money than, than we anticipate, too. The thing about Dallas, I mean, first of all, they're the only team that's in the playoffs with a minus goal differential, um, and that includes the fact that they're 5-2 and two in shootouts, so they even have a worse goal differential than what you see. However, there are also one, two, three, let's keep counting, four teams outside of the playoffs that have more regulation wins than the Dallas Stars. They only have 31 regulation wins. They got five in the shootout and five in three-on-three overtime. There is no shootout. There is no three-on-three overtime in the playoffs. The Dallas Stars won 31 games that are of the same ilk of playoff games out of 82. So... They're they're really not that good. I don't know. I don't like the Dallas Stars. I think the Predators are better than them, but I also think that the Predators without UC Soros are not that good. Um, but again, I mean, I don't expect Colorado and Calgary to lose these teams, but I also wouldn't be surprised if any of those series go five or six. Sure, but what did we talk about a little bit ago is that ability to flip the switch, right? And I think all teams have that at varying levels. So we'll just see how well Dallas can flip the switch and get into playoff mode because that's really what the playoffs are about. The L.A. Kings of, what, 2012, um, you know, make me think of that. And that's forever how I will think about the Stanley Cup playoffs. You just got to flip the switch at the right time. Yeah, I I agree with that. The LA Kings of uh, 2012, coincidentally coached by Daryl Sutter, who the Dallas Stars will be facing this time. The thing is about the Dallas Stars is the last time they were in the playoffs, they were in the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, it was on the hands of a lot of people, but it was uh, Miro Haskinen that had a hell of a playoffs. He was over a point per game, I believe, in that Stanley Cup final or in that Stanley Cup playoffs in general. Had the Dallas Stars found a way to miraculously beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, that guy would have won the Conn Smythe Trophy. So Miro Haskinen is going to be a big piece for that team. But you know what? That's Calgary's problem. We got the Nashville Predators, and that's not going to be necessarily an easy series in its own, with or without UC Soros. They got weapons. We just saw them at Ball Arena three or four days ago, and and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially given the fact these two teams played a couple of years ago. There's some bitter rivalries here, some uh, former players playing against their former teams. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Well, with that being said, let's throw it out to Peter Baugh and uh, get some of his takes on today's practice, today's lineups, and what changes we're going to have. Of course, you're there with him. It's not just Peter Baugh talking to himself or talking to a wall. He's talking to you. So let's throw it to Arif and Peter Baugh. But first, real quick, let's talk about my friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan and Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. So, um, yeah, let's throw it over to Peter Ball. You know, since I kind of educated myself on some wine this past weekend, I need to take a little halftime here, keep drinking some of my tea and honey. And uh, Arif and I will be back after Peter Ball to uh, dive a little bit more into some details of this upcoming series with the Predators. So, um, yeah, enjoy, Peter. 
All right, so we are now going to get joined here by Peter Bob, The Athletic, the third member of our show. He's not going to be on the main podcast uh, previewing the series, but we did have a use for him because Peter was at Ball Arena today. Obviously, like I said before, I am not in in Denver right now. I'm out in Detroit. JJ wasn't able to make it. So Peter's going to give us all the latest around the avalanche. But for starters, Peter, how are you? How's it going? I am well. It's good to good to see you out in Michigan. And um, yeah, I'm glad we were able to work out a time where I could could hop on. I know it's kind of crazy coordinating all three of our schedules, but this works yeah. well. Definitely. And it's going to be even more fun in the playoffs. It's just a little wonky right now. But uh, obviously, we did learn a couple of days ago once the Avalanche blew or once the National Predators blew that game to the Coyotes, four to nothing, <laughs> led four to nothing. And it's hilarious because Dallas almost blew their opportunity of having the first wild card by blowing a game to the Arizona Coyotes in overtime. And then Nashville went up them and I think did it in regulation, was it? That 5-4 game, I want to say. Yeah, or, it, was in yeah it, was in, it was in regulation. That's correct. So now we know the Avalanche are playing the Nashville Predators. Before we start talking about that series a little bit, we got you on for a reason. You were at Ball Arena. You saw all the latest around the Avalanche this morning or this afternoon when they skated. Obviously, pretty much everybody was healthy. So just give us give us a little lowdown. Who was there on the ice? What were the forward lines, defense lines? Take it from the top and just you know tell me what you saw today. Yeah, so I think the, the biggest thing was that when practice began, Gabriel Landeskog skated out in a burgundy jersey. He was, I believe, the first player on the ice. And, um, yeah, looked good, looked ready to go, full contact, no no issues there. Nazem Kadri was the only player missing. Um, and I think that it's not a huge deal, but he's sick, according to Jared Bednar, non-COVID-related illness. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully for the avalanche that doesn't linger, but that's why he wasn't out there today. Um and yeah, the forward lines were, were pretty interesting. Do we want to go line by line? How do we want to do this? Let's do it. So right off the bat, Landeskog wearing burgundy says to me that he would be on that second line with what should usually be centered by Nazem Kadri, as long as he doesn't have whatever the hell COVID, non-COVID illness Miko ran and had that kept yeah, him out for what felt like forever. Um, yeah. Then, then he should be back pretty soon. But started from the top. Does that mean Nachushkin was with McKinnon or Yep. So Nachushkin okay. is with McKinnon and Rantanen. Um, I asked Bednar about the reasoning for that today, and he said that he kind of was like he liked the way Nachushkin's been playing with that group, and also it was kind of like maybe ease Landeskog in a little bit yeah. as he's as he's coming back. And then the second I- line, um, Newhook was playing on the second line, centering Landeskog and Lekkonen, which I thought was pretty interesting because Burak that means Burakovsky's on the on the third line if mm. Kadri fills in at uh for for new hook which would put Burkovsky comp for new hook as the third line which, unless they scratch new hook in favor of Obey Kubel which real quickly before you get to the third line is kind of what you and I had been talking about a couple of weeks ago that a healthy avalanche top six probably is going to include Lekkonen at this point I just thought it would be Lekkonen with Nachushkin and Kadri but it looks like Lekkonen like you said with Landeskog and Kadri which is fine the Avalanche want to ease in Landeskog Nachushkin had a hell of an ending to the season and um, let's think back to last year in the playoffs Brandon Saad was playing on the top line ahead of Landeskog the Avalanche totally. were kind of spreading the, the the wealth a little bit there too so I like it it's the same top six that I expected when you and I were kind of uh, you know, thinking about the fact that like Lekkonen probably would be up there over Burakovsky. So I'm assuming right now. So who was filling in on the third line? You had Comfer, you had Burakovsky, and who was the third guy? Obey Kubel. 
And I think the thing, the thing with Landis Gug on the second line is there's always the safety net of you can scoot him right back up to the top if you want to generate something there. And you saw even earlier this year when, before Landis Gug got hurt, when they kind of split up that group at the end of periods and stuff, it would still always be Landis Gug out there with McKinnon and Rantanen. Cool. So if I was to be a betting man, I would assume that Kadri coming back means Newhook would play the left wing with Comfer and Burakovsky. I think we've seen that line before, and they even played a power play unit together. Uh, does that seem like the most likely scenario to you? I would say so. Um, I'm curious how Obey Kubel fits into that. If if I mean, I thought he played pretty well down the stretch. Like I don't know yeah. if there's agreed. I don't know if there's a chance he supplants Newhook. It seems like. Jared seems to like the Cogliano Sturm helm line. He talked highly of them, and I thought they looked pretty good the last few games. Um, so I think that's probably going to be the fourth line, which means O'Connor and probably Obe Kubel are sitting, which is funny because O'Connor played 81 games in the regular season. He played more than anyone, and now he might be one of the odd men out come playoffs uh, just because of the depth this team has. Um, so we'll see. I, I I would. I mean, I think Newhook has to be in there, but yeah, it's kind of a tough break for Obey Kubel, who's who's played great lately. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, Newhook and O'Connor should both be in there. But then, who do you sit? This is like literally what we were saying right when the trade deadline happened. The Avalanche suddenly have a ton of depth, and let's see how long it lasts. Knock on wood, if you have wood around you, like injuries are going to happen. Players are going to be missing games here and there. But assuming Kadri comes back and assuming Kadri's playing in that second line center spot with Lekkonen and Landeskog, well, now you have Comfer, Newhook, and, or sorry, Comfer, Burakovsky, and maybe Newhook. But then Abi Kubel gets pushed. It's, it'll be interesting because it'll, I wonder how much it'll have to do with like positional fit. Cause Jared Bednar was talking about really liking Comfer at center and preferring him to play center to wing. Um, Newhook probably fits in at left wing, which is Burakovsky's natural side. Obey Kubel, they currently have, they had at right wing today. And Obey Kubel is a natural right winger. So it, yeah. it'll be interesting to see if I, I think Newhook has to be in there. But I agree. But it's tough because Obey Kubel's looked good. and He's he looked bo- really good. And, yeah. and against the Nashville Predators, their third line is that line that we talked about last week with Colton Sissons and Yannick, y- Yakov Trenin and Tanner Janot. That's a pretty heavy line. So I kind of feel like Obey Kubel would fit a little bit better in the lineup than, you know, say somebody like Newhook. But Newhook is loaded with skill and talent. And then, you know, Newhook playing on the left wing is fine. We've seen it before. And I, I really like the idea of Comfort at center because... Like Nachushkin, Comfort had a damn good ending to the season, like Abe Kubel as well. So it's just going to be really interesting to see how Jared fits it all in. No matter how many games they have a fully healthy, I don't want to say healthy, but fully available lineup because none of these guys are going to be healthy in like a week. Um, Playoffs are going to beat you up pretty quick. So it's just interesting to see what Jared does every single day to kind of make those decisions. We've seen Darren Helm sit quite a bit lately. We've seen Cogliano sit when needed. Um... I would assume, given his position, given the fact that he's that fourth line center, that Sturm is a little bit more of a guaranteed shoe in. And his face off ability. Thank you. Yep, and and that too. I would say he's more of a shoe in to play every single night. But Cogliano, Helm, Abe Kubel, O'Connor, Newhook, like those are going to be the guys you're rotating in at that wing position. Just whoever can go on any given night, whoever provides what you need, is going to play. And uh, again. It's a good problem to have for the Avalanche. Uh, a couple years ago or, you know, two, three years ago, they had 
the most random of random forwards playing in the playoffs because they were just so injured. One of them being Sampo Ranta last year. Like, he was a big part of that playoff series against Vegas. Wow. Uh, few, we're, we're giving Sampo a not, little too much. Yeah. Well, and by big part, I mean, like, he played he played a lot of games. He played two games. and Was it only two? Yeah, he played the first two games. It was very strange. He, he came in for two games and then was just never played again. Not and hurt, it feels like, not hurt huh. from again. I don't um, know why. I felt like he played a little more than that. Yeah. Well, but if you look at last year, even Kadri was suspended, and then you had Jost and Comfort kind of carrying that second line center burden. And yeah. that was probably too big a role for them. Um, and yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. He really did only play two games in the playoffs last year. Dang. Okay. And not many cool. minutes in either game. Yeah, for sure. But he was 2 0. Um, <laughs> that's that's what matters once he's set the avalanche lost no i'm kidding yep. <laughs> um but yeah so like there's a lot of options here for jared bedner to use um but i guess with the forward the defense is pretty much the same thing because as far as i understand it ryan murray's the only one that's not cleared uh run me through what you saw with the defense yeah that's what jared bedner said so we 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 had taves and mccarr as the top pair gerard and manson second pair Byram and Eric Johnson as third pair with McDermott and Jack Johnson uh, as okay. the fourth. Um, Murray was rotating in, and he looked like a full participant. Bednar said he's not fully cleared, but it sounds like there hopefully could be for game one. Whether or not he is, I would doubt that he supplants anyone for game one. Um, but I, I was talking to someone about this earlier. I thought Ryan Murray, the way he was playing the last half of the year, was like yeah. really – or the last chunk of when he was healthy was was really valuable because if you look at what you want from a third pairing defenseman it's someone who isn't going to make dumb turnovers in the defensive zone and the Avs in this little rut that they've been in have had some of those right they've had guys who will try and get the puck out and throw it right to a an opposing player who then passes it in for a goal um so I I I liked the way Murray was playing with his puck moving ability, his calmness. And so I wonder if at some point, if things aren't going super well, if they decide to try and bring him back in. Um, But it's tough because a lot of the guys in the lineup are pretty established. And the guy who's not established, Bowen Byram might be the third, third best of the bunch. Certainly the third most talented, maybe second most talented of the bunch. Yeah. And what I liked about Ryan Murray's game before his injury is when Josh Manson was first acquired, he played with Murray. He was on that second pair. Who was out at the time? Gerard was out, and I want to say, I, I forget who the other person was. Was it just Gerard? Yeah, it's yeah, so it's, hard it's to hard. remember. I think it was, I think it was just Gerard because he was out for a month after the. Carolina yeah. So okay. Game. Yeah. So that's what. I, so Gerard was out. Johnson and Johnson stayed together on the third pair. Ryan Murray's the one that jumped into the top four with Josh Manson. So you know that Jared Bednar held him in high regard at that point of his season. He was well enough to be the guy because I thought it may have been Eric Johnson. I was thinking that was around the time when Bo and Byron was starting to get healthy and potentially coming back in. So I figured maybe Bo would play with Manson, but it was Murray. So I think that he had a great ending to the season. You and I have talked about this a lot. We were joking about how... I think it was like a month ago. I put I put a fully healthy lineup together, and I put Murray on the third pair, and then EJ as one of the extras. And people tore me to shreds for saying that. Which, like at the time, <laughs> that's what it looked like would be the case. I mean, that's what it looked like. Those were the minutes that he was kind of playing. Um, he was in the lineup ahead of of Eric Johnson. I do think Eric Johnson had a nice end. Of I, the I season, agree. Yeah, and I think, and I think his size and 
big body is something that helps in the playoffs. Same with Manson. Like those are playoff guys, yeah. you know, um, and will obviously be counted on. And I think that I'm really curious to see how the defenseman minutes go, especially in games that are close in games that are must win games and just how much Jared Bednar rides Kale McCarr yeah. Devontae's. The most interesting point to me. So for starters, from all those depth guys we're talking about, I would say the only one that had like a less than ideal ending to the season right now is Jack Johnson. And he's sitting uh, McDermott hard to say he hadn't really play a lot. And let's face it. He's not a t- 10 to 15 minute a night defenseman. Um, but I'm really curious about what you just said, too, because like usually you'll have a cutoff for the avalanche of like the top three and the bottom three. Like last year, it was the clear cut Taves, Makar and Gerard. And then after that, it was like the bottom three of like Graves and, and Nemeth and, and Timmons. It was kind of there was a clear cut there. Yeah. Usually. Well, and last year it was on almost that point. Uh, Graves and Gerard both yeah. struggled and it was in the Vegas two and four. It was kind of like yeah. a top two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a two and. Honestly, Connor Timmons, I thought was fine. he was like, yeah he, was, he may he was, have been the third best defenseman because Nemeth wasn't very good yeah. either. Um, so yeah, so like it's usually split up like that, or it would be your top four and your bottom pair like is a clear cut. But now with Bowen Byron back in the lineup, it almost seems like they have five guys and then they have the number six guy. So like, how are these lines? How are the minutes going to be accurate? Uh, or uh, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. How how are the minutes educated? No, uh, is that distributed? A word? <laughs> allocated is what i was going for boom (laughs) there we go how are the minutes gonna be allocated i'm struggling here um because taves and makar is a clear-cut top pair manson and gerard is your clear-cut second pair but then you got that swiss army knife on the third pair of bowen byram is he you know if you choose to play eric johnson i don't know 10 to 14 minutes does that mean byram's gonna play 10 to 14 minutes like i can't see that being the case but it also gives bedner options yeah i kind of see him playing a little i see Byron playing a little more because I think he's a guy who occasionally you bring into the if you have an offensive zone start and Taves has played a really long shift Bingo. before you yep. put Byron out yep. there with McCarr you put Byron out there with Gerard if Manson was just killing a penalty you put I think he's such a good offensive weapon that they can work him into a number of different situations and I think the big thing for the sixth defenseman is just someone who won't make the big mistake I think that's the big thing. You just can't have those those turnovers in the defensive zone that lead to goals are just so costly in, in playoff series. I mean, I can think of like three of those that jump out in the Vegas series that led, yep. to, led to goals, and yeah. they were all backbreakers. The biggest thing with Eric Johnson for me is like his highs are high, but his lows are lows. He, he makes a great play, but he also can make a really bad turnover and that's what you kind of want from that number six guy is like we don't need you to be flashy we just need you to hover right here right down the middle don't make those mistakes and you'll kind of get more of that out of ryan murray but eric johnson but murray also has to get back and murray hasn't played a game that's that's the other thing murray has been a long while you're not getting ryan murray from you know late march automatically on may may 3rd like that's not going to be a situation at all that you're going to have so Totally. It's hard to have an ease-in period in the playoffs. You can't throw them in a game and, yeah. So I would say, I would say the, I mean, look, Eric Johnson deserves to be playing because this is a guy that the Avalanche missed a lot last year. He had a hell of a season. Like, all things considered, Eric Johnson had a good year this year. He put up the points when he needed to. He played a ton of games. He only sat 
you know, as a healthy scratch. He never sat as an injured defenseman all year, I believe. There was one game he was banged up, okay. but yeah, yeah, mostly a healthy. You'd take this year out of Eric Johnson 50 times. 100%, yeah. Is he worth the $6 million? That's a next season conversation. Right now we're talking about the playoffs and the fact that you have all these guys and you have to use your best ones, and Eric Johnson should be playing. Uh, the beauty of this conversation is if he struggles you have other options, and that's the biggest thing. Just like the forwards, if Cogliano has a bad game and you got to sit him, you're going to put in O'Connor if he's sitting or Abe Kubel if he's sitting. Like You have so many options that I don't think Jared has ever had this kind of depth before, um, and it's good. It's going to bode well for the Avs. They need to go three, four, five injuries deep before they're really digging deep into their depth, depending on who's injured. Like if you replace McKinnon with O'Connor, yeah, it's going to hurt. Like it's, you know, not the same as if you're replacing Comfort with O'Connor. Um, yeah. Well, there are some guys they just simply can't. Exactly. Yeah. 100. I mean, and every yeah. team has those, but the fact that they've got this many bodies, this many guys that can slot into the lineup uh, is important. But um, on the goaltending side, I would assume Kemper, Frankie, both look good to go. Both right to rock. Both out there. Yeah. Both, both were out there. Anunin's back with the the Eagles. So is Jacob McDonald. I didn't see Ben Myers. I'm not sure if he's going to be with the team through the the playoff run. He's ineligible to play, so I'm not sure if his season is done and he's back in Minnesota for the rest of the off season, or if he'll he'll what's, stick around. I, I don't know. What's how his work. status with the AHL? Is he able to be sent down to play in there? I don't believe he's able to. What I I was wondering this too, and I need to get clarity on it because I was kind of wondering on. If he was like, if they were, if his camp and the abs were both like, we want to get him in more games, he's ineligible for the postseason. Could he play in the AHL playoffs for the Eagles? And I don't know the answer to that. And I, it's something I can look into and try and find yeah, out. Yeah. Cause that would be great for him and great for the Eagles. They've had a good year. So yeah, Ben Myers, obviously ineligible to play in the playoffs. We're not going to see him in an avalanche uniform in a game, in game action again until at least next season. The preseason. So, yeah. The preseason, yeah. I should say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, tons of options there. Um, I guess my next question for you is obviously JJ and I are doing a longer dive into the series, but Nashville, obviously blowing that game to Arizona, setting up a first round series with the Avs. Right off the bat, obviously, UC Soros looks like he's going to be missing some time. I don't know if he's going to get in in this series. Probably not for games one and two, at least. Um, and I'm saying that all based off speculation, you know, I'm not by any means confirming that if he shows up game one, it'll be kind of a miracle, but who knows? Um, give me your quick spark notes, your quick thoughts on this series, where it should go, uh, and, and what the avalanche, if anything should be afraid of. Well, uh, the answer of what they should be afraid of before he got hurt was UC Saras, who is yeah. exceptional. Agreed. And if he's out, I mean, frankly, there are weird things that happen in the playoffs, but the Avalanche, if they have trouble in this series with Saros out, if David Riddich is in net and Colorado is struggling to and generate Connor offense. And Connor Ingram is the guy that they would turn to if he's not. Yeah. If if either, and Connor Ingram, I believe, was playing in the Arizona game where they gave up yeah. the 4 nothing lead. So it's not like either of those guys are world beaters. Like, I, I think that... They need they. It, this should not be a difficult series unless UC Saros is playing. Regardless, the Avalanche have more talent, but I think that you look at the Predators. They have some guys who can score goals. Forsberg, forty-two goals this year, I think. Duchenne, mm-hmm. forty-three goals this year. Yossi's obviously an exceptional um, player with his goal scoring and his facilitating. He's exceptional. Um, yeah. So there's there's. 
They've got guys who can can burn you, and there are going to be moments where those guys do burn you in a four in a four to seven game series. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how. I just I don't see the depth for them to really make it too too tough on Colorado. But say Saras comes back game three and has like some incredible like incredible showing on one one ankle or whatever, then then all of a sudden you could be in trouble. But I would I would think the Avalanche are in okay shape. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest storyline for me here, there's there's a couple of them. The Soros one, there's three of them, I should say. The Soros one obviously takes the cake. Without him, I mean, with him, Nashville doesn't fall to the second wildcard spot. I don't think by any me uh, by in, in any way that they would have blown that game to Arizona or maybe yeah. you know collected a couple points along the way elsewhere to put them ahead of Dallas, which they seem to be in that driver's seat pretty much the entire way until the very end. So, and, that, and you could see the end coming though with that schedule, just brutal night after yeah, night after night. Yeah, I get, I, I, I guess, yeah, that's true. We were kind of looking at that for a while. So, um, I mean, the funny thing is, Nashville didn't even finish higher than LA. There was all that talk of like, oh, third in the Pacific is going to be worse than one of the wild card to potentially both of the wild card teams. Well, lo and behold, LA actually does have the sixth most points in the West. And then the wild cards are seven and eight. So uh, pretty interesting there. So that's the first storyline. Second storyline, simply Roman Yossi, Kale McCarr. That's going to be really fun to watch. Roman Yossi, obviously, with a 10-point advantage on Kale in the uh, in the final regular season. Point trace, 96 to 86. These are defensemen, and we're talking about second place having 86. Like, this is an incredible season for the top-end defensemen, and even forwards uh, in terms of offensive production. That's going to be a lot of fun. The third one, to me, is a little bit more interesting in terms of storylines in terms of just like fan reactions and stuff like that it's the fact that last year the avalanche in the first round played ryan o'reilly at the height of his powers you know he had a hell of a season in 2019 and in my opinion last year was better he had 24 goals 54 points in 56 games he was a plus 26 he played every single game you know it kind of is on par with that 2019 cup year with the blues where he had 77 and 82 so this year o'reilly's points took a little bit of a dip not that he's having a bad year but the Avs got him at the height of his powers in the first round last year. Well, fast forward one year, well, almost a year because COVID is weird and nothing makes sense. Um, they got Matt Duchesne at the height of his powers. Matt Duchesne, like you said, 43 goals. He also had 43 assists, 86 points in 78 games. This is the Duchesne that people have been yearning for since his rookie season. My favorite part about Matt Duchesne, and I think I mentioned this last time, he had that podcast on The Athletic. He was a guest with uh, Sean Gentile and Craig Custins. And I, I listened to that strictly because I love listening to Matt Duchesne talk. And his mindset, his maturity, his growth is exponentially higher than even a couple years ago, let alone when he was with the Avalanche. Duchesne really is one of the cool guys in the NHL, one of the really great people in the NHL, despite what your opinion is of him, you know, for, for how it ended with the Avs. But he's 31 years old. He is playing the best hockey of his life. And the Avalanche, once again, are going to have one of those two guys, Duchesne and O'Reilly, the two that carried the team for a while, you know, carried them to pretty much nothing in that era of Avalanche play. They're going to get the second one in the first round, and that's going to be a big series, especially if you notice how game 81 ended, the last one at Ball Arena. Duchesne scored a goal. Duchesne scored the sco scored the shootout winner. And, which should uh, count as a goal. I which should say. count as a goal, as Peter Ball likes to say. Um, and uh, every single time he touched the puck, he was booed. And yeah. that's going to be a fun storyline. So to me, the Sorrows story is going to be big. Yossi versus Makar is going to be big. And the Matt Duchesne playing against the Colorado Avalanche is going to be fun. Odds we get a 
Paul Stasny Colorado Avalanche first round series next year? I see it. That's what I was thinking too. I see it. I mean, bring, the, bring the, back the Winnipeg Jets, assuming he's still there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that era of the Avalanche was uh, very interesting because they had a lot of talent, but they just couldn't really do anything with it. Well, I mean, they had the one year where they they got the one seed. Yeah, uh, and and the reality is they had a lot of forward talent. They did not have a lot of defense talent. The one year that they made it, they rode Semyon Varlamov down every single game for 82 games and uh, their second deep pair was Andre Benoit and Corey Saric it was a better time so it was not a very good time I should say on the blue line so um, yeah the Duchesne story is going to be a lot of fun for me last thing I want to plug with you here before we uh, end this and go back to JJ and I is you wrote a story I don't, I don't even want to say you wrote it last week because I know you've been working on this for a while we were in Toronto back in December and you told me you were going to meet up with a couple of his family members Obviously, I'm talking about the story of Nazem Kadri. Give us a quick synopsis of how that all came together. Hell of a story. If you have not read it and you are a subscriber to The Athletic, please go read it. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe to read this story. It is an incredible story on Nazem Kadri, his time with Toronto, how it all unfolded. Hit me with what you got. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me talk about it. Also, I did check with someone on if Ben Myers is eligible for the playoffs for the Eagles, and he is not. So okay. brief brief note there. Thank you. Thanks um, for clearing that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the Nazem Kadri story, he, he gets off to this great start early in the year, and we knew we wanted to do something about, about him. Um, the Avalanche were playing in Toronto. I stayed back a few days rather than going to Montreal and Ottawa and went to London, Ontario, where he's from, and also went to... Uh, Barry, Ontario, where Oscar Olison was playing junior hockey at the time. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a really, it was really fun to get to learn a little more about him to, to see kind of where he came from, where he grew up. Um, I met with his parents and sisters actually in Toronto before the game. Um, but then met with some of his friends in London, as well as his, one of his teachers and his agent at the time. Um, and yeah, I think this was just a story that Nazem Kadri is such an interesting figure because he has had um, discipline issues in the past where he got suspended in the playoffs twice in Toronto and then once again in Colorado. And um, I think the whole point of the story was kind of looking at what has changed, if anything, for Nazem Kadri. How is he having this, this huge year? What has led to this moment where he's all of a sudden in – one of the biggest seasons of his career where he has a ton to prove after getting suspended. He's a pending UFA. He's about to make a ton of money. Well, now he is after, after the season he's had. And I really wanted to kind of explore those questions. So that was something I, I tried to really examine while I was there. I talked to Nas himself in Boston um, when they played there in February, I believe. I think that's when I got him. And then kind of there've been lulls where I've, I've had other work to do where I've had other stories I needed to finish. So I haven't, been kind of on it as much so we we decided at a certain point we wanted to do it right before the playoffs was our idea was that's Beautiful. that's when we're yep. gonna we're gonna do this because the playoffs are what has be- brought both the best and worst out of Nazem Kadri and um his wife gave an exceptional interview and um yeah just it was it was really fun to share and I I would appreciate anyone checking it out I think um I think the goal going in was to not make this just a, a puff piece of blind like glorification. And I, I don't think we did. I thought it was a, an honest portrayal and I thought that's what was most fair to Nas and to the story in general. Yeah. And what I liked about it um, is 
I mean, look, we know Nazem Kadri for the for for the hell of it. We know you and I both know his wife went through a lot after the suspension last yeah. year as well, not just him. And you portrayed that really well. It was kind of fascinating and interesting to see like the real human element behind what happened there. Um, and it's the part that not a lot of people think about. Like you think of a player, you think of him being like nervous, like, you know, my phone's going to ring. Is it going to be my agent and the trade deadlines in two days? Holy shit. That scares me. If the GM's calling you, like when Tyson Joe said, Joe Sackett called him, he knew right away what was happening. Like, holy crap, this is actually going to be a thing. Like you think of that, but you don't think about the people that are connected to them. You don't often hear, we always say it, players have families and it's hard on them, but you don't really, really put two and two together until you actually hear from the family and hear what they went through. And what I loved about the story most was the two parts, and obviously go read it if you haven't, it's an exceptional story, but the, um, the part where they found out that they were getting traded to Colorado and how that all unfolded. And obviously stopping the trade to Calgary, we've heard this for years and we know that when he stopped the trade to Calgary for TJ Brody, who, you know, coincidentally now plays for the Maple Leafs anyway, uh, the whole purpose behind that was like, if I stop it, maybe they'll get the hint that I don't want to get traded. And then they went and found another team and he said, fuck it, I'll go. Um, so it was interesting well, to hear what was going on. Well, and the weren't on his no trade list. He didn't yeah. have a... Yeah, yeah, So he yeah. didn't have a choice there. That's true. Um, so that's number one. And then number two, you know, the the sleepless nights, the nights of staying up during the suspension, the appeals process, the fact that they were so upset, knowing, you know, what they were going through, it kind of really portrayed this human element. I think Ashley's part of the story was so important and so strong because this is his wife and someone that he had been married to for just a few years or it still has been just a few years. And obviously they have a young daughter now. Um, it was really interesting to see how it affected her as much as him, all the things that happened and really seeing, you know, what a, what, what a wife of a hockey player or, you know, girlfriend or spouse or whoever, what they go through as well on this journey with their husband who plays in the NHL. So it was uh, really great on that sense. And I think the story, like you said, it ended in a perfect way where you're not glorifying him. You're kind of, objectively talking about all the great things that he's done this season, the exceptional season he's had, but there's also that little bit of a don't forget what happens in the playoffs when Nazem Kadri gets there and can he overcome it this year? And I think that yep. was just a great way to write that story. Suspended three times in four years in the playoffs, let alone all the regular season suspensions he's had. The throat slash was Mark Giordano. That was a cool part of the story as well. Um, and, you know, he even got suspended by Brendan Shanahan once, the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team-sanctioned suspension for being late to a meeting or something. Yeah, um, and that was, I think that was less like a dangerous play on the ice and yeah, more like it was a violation of team rule. And I don't exactly. think that was, it wasn't anything malicious that he did. It was immaturity and something he... Yeah probably but deserve to be part of for, yeah but, but part of the growth yeah. process that's the whole thing like it's the maturity it's the development and the growth of the human you know that we're talking about and we just talked about two guys ryan o'reilly and matt duchene nazim kadri is that same draft the 2009 draft where wow. duchene went third kadri went seventh and o'reilly went 33rd so that group has grown up together and you know we're talking about duchene playing the best hockey of his life the height of his powers having a different mindset and being a lot more mature well we're seeing the same thing from nazim kadri with a little bit of an asterisk of playoff start Tuesday, what kind of Nazem are we going to see? Yep. So, and I think it's important to say, like, the Justin Falk hit in the playoffs was a, it was, it was a bad hit. And I believe it, it was interesting. When it happened, it was like, oh, my gosh, he did it again. But the, talking to people around him, talking to him, listening to what Jared Bednar said, I don't think that I, – I kind of buy what, what they say of, like, this wasn't 
Yeah. This wasn't like the Jake DeBrusque play where it was retaliatory. DeBrusque had yep. gone, they'd been going at it all series. He DeBrusque tried to take out his knees earlier, whatever you want to say about that. Like this wasn't him retaliating. This was him trying to make a hockey play. Was it a dangerous play? Yes. Yeah. Should he have probably done things differently? Yeah, if he could have a do-over, I am sure he would have a do-over. But I don't think the intent was there or the uh, it, it wasn't retaliatory by nature. Which isn't to say that, I mean, eight games was a pretty harsh suspension. And yeah. I, I don't know if, if that was fair. Clearly, the independent arbitrator thought it was. Um, but I, I, I'm not, I don't want anyone to, like, come away from the story. And I don't think you will if you read it with an open mind of thinking it's just, like, uh, piece to rehabilitate his image because that wasn't the point of it. I wanted no, to be off. And not. like I said, I think that's what's fair to Nas um, to tell it honestly. And I, I, uh, I tried my best to do it. Yeah, and and I love that part of it. I mean, the fact that it wasn't a let's call it a screws loose play. It wasn't him losing his cool and just going after a guy or punching someone or suckering them into a fight or doing something dirty like that. It was legitimate. You know, it wasn't Dylan Larkin going after? I think it was Kucherov or Point or whoever. Uh, earlier in the season, this was legitimately a hockey play gone wrong. Um, and I mean, you know, we've we've all heard, we've seen the stories that were written about him. We've seen the fact that a lot of media were, you know, locally and internationally and nationally were, were writing stories about him. Like, can Kadri control his temper? Can he? And it's like, it was a much different play what happened in 2021. But it was also kind of like this culmination of a season that had gone wrong for him. One where he hadn't scored, you know, he had scored two goals in 20-something games. And one where he was frustrated, just not having a great year, came into the playoffs, wanted to do a little bit more than he should have, and, and it led to a dirty hit. And um, I think this playoffs is kind of going to be like, this is going to tell the story of Nazem Kadri, what he does in May and June, May and June, or potentially no June of 2022. Yeah. Um what he does in these next 60 days leading up to June 30th are going to tell the tale of the career of Nazem Kadri, and it's going to lead to that next chapter, uh, whether with the Avalanche or elsewhere. But that story, like you said, you guys wanted to release it before the playoffs. Perfect timing, perfect story to read, and it kind of gets you pumped for the fact that you and I have been talking about this for a while now. The Avalanche's second-line center a year ago was Tyson Jost, and now they got Nazem Kadri and they got Nazem Kadri playing the best hockey of his life. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see what he brings to the Avs this year. And uh, again, if you haven't read that story, please do. Uh, great story. And it's kind of a great behind-the-scenes look of Kadri and what he's gone through the last 24 to 36 months. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate you giving me the chance to, to plug it. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, we're going to call it a uh, segment, not an entire podcast, but a segment of the show here with Peter Baugh. Uh, JJ and I will finish it up from here, but thanks for joining us. I will see you at Ball Arena, JJ on to or the other guy, Peter. I will see you at Ball Arena on Tuesday. I'll see JJ there too. Um, but yeah, thanks for jumping on the show. A uh, lot of more podcasts and shows coming up here during the playoffs. Peter Baugh, you can find him at The Athletic. Arif Dean, myself, you can find me at Mile High Sports. Uh, a lot of writing and a lot of content coming from me as well. I kind of took a little bit of a uh, backseat with my writing with the grand opening of Rumble and Cherry Creek, which has been a lot of fun the past month, but playoffs are coming up. More writing is on the on the rise as well as podcasting, content. A lot of fun, man. Full arenas at Ball Arena for the playoffs. Full capacity is going to be so much fun. It's been three years, and I'm so excited for it. Should be a blast. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Peter. And uh, JJ and I will take it from here. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.
Thank you. All right. Thanks to Peter. Interesting stuff there from Ball Arena and the lineups and the health of the team, the current state. Also, don't forget to check out his new article on Nazem Kadri. I know he worked really hard of it. He's proud of that one. So do him the justice and you know, vindicate his work. Go check it out for him. But a couple of the storylines I wanted to talk about that you guys got into there, Arif. Of course, you know, a lot of good stuff. But what really is on my mind right now is the changing of the lines, right? We talked earlier in the show about flipping the switch. Well, not only are they going to have to flip the switch, they're going to kind of have to do it with new lines. It looks like with Landy's return and when Kadri returns from whatever non-COVID-related illness he's suffering from right now, it sounds like it's going to be a Landeskog, Nazem Kadri, Arturi Lekkinen line as that second line, throwing Nachushkin up on the top line to play with McKinnon and Rantanen. Now, I know you're a big fan of the 32 Thoughts and the Jeff Merrick show, Arif, and I was listening to them last week. I think it was just the Jeff Merrick show with Elliot Friedman joining him, right? And uh, Jeff Merrick mentioned how, you know, Elias Lindholm really drives the Calgary line, and mm-hmm. it's nice for Kachuk and Goudreau to to kind of let loose and just play the way they play because they know that Lindholm's got their back and that he related that to Landeskog and the Ranton and, and McKinnon line. So now that that line is broken up, I mean, obviously Landeskog still contributes heavily to a second line, but it almost seems like the top line of McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog is like breaking up the Beatles if you're going to change it up right yeah. now. I mean, so I guess what's your thought on the way the top six is positioned right now, and how do you think it's going to evolve throughout the playoffs here? So I like what Peter said in the, term, in the fact where it was like, let's, I don't want to call it ease Landeskog in because there is no easing in in the playoffs, but given the way Nachushkin's playing right now, you don't need to throw Landeskog on the top line right away. I also like the fact that if you remember, and this is not something that Peter and I talked about, but if you remember at the end of the regular season, it was all about, trying new combos, trying new combos, trying new combos. So Jared Bednar, he was doing all these different testing line combos and this and that. Well, there's one pairing that has not had a chance to play together yet. And let's get him a game or two, given the fact that Landis God couldn't come, you know, play the final two or three regular season games. Let's get these guys acclimated with each other so that if we need to go back to it, we have that option and we know what, what it can do. And that's 92 and 62. Lekkinen and Landeskog. So I think it's good to have them start together because when you eventually do, and let's face it, you are going to switch Nachushkin and Landeskog because Nachushkin and Lekkinen playing together, we all remember how much Jared Bednar was raving about them. You stick Kadri in the middle of them and, ooh, baby, that's a good line. (laughs) So once you do switch those guys, you at least know. Because think of the game Landeskog plays. Think of the game Lekkinen plays. Those guys are going to become best buds. Those guys are going to love playing together. So let's get them together right now. Let's let them kind of learn off of each other. And let's let Nichushkin ride the wave of this hot streak to end the regular season on the top line. And uh, a game or two or three in, or it's not even going to take that long. It's going to take somewhere in the second period. The Avalanche are going to have an offensive zone faceoff. He's going to say, all right, Gabe, jump over with uh, Nate and Miko. Like, it's going to happen real quick. So I'm not too worried about it, especially in round one. As silly as it sounds like... The Avalanche can fiddle with round one a little bit. It's Nashville, and it's potentially Nashville without their starting goalie. So let's continue to test a couple things out. Let's get the guys reacclimated. Um, so am I concerned about the fact that that line is broken up? No. Do I expect them to be broken up the entire way? Absolutely not. And if they are, that's because the Avalanche are winning every damn game really damn well that you don't need to put them back together. And at that point, who cares? They're winning. So uh, that's kind of the way that I see it right now. I love what Peter said about... 
kind of easing Gabe in on that second line to start. Um, but that's going to be a fun line. Landeskog, Kadri, and Bert, and uh, what's his face? Lekkinen. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. What's his face? Yeah. yeah. Um, the forgotten man. <laughs> and I think, you know, I, all of us are counting on the appearance of playoff Nate Dog, right? The Nathan McKinnon version of himself during the playoffs is just a completely heightened version of Nathan McKinnon. So I think as long as you have him buzzing, it doesn't matter who he's skating with. He could put me and you on his wings and he'd still be, uh, you know, carrying the weight. So if he's coming out of the gate and playing like the Nathan McKinnon that we're expecting to see, then exactly like you're saying, you can keep riding with kind of whatever you need to for the time being, and you're not forced to put that top line back together. So I absolutely like your take there. Yeah, and uh, let's not forget, in terms of playoff points per game percentage, uh, over the over the length of their careers for any player, I think the minimum threshold is like 50 games, which is a pretty damn big sample size. Like that's two very long runs to winning the Stanley Cup, or that's, you know, a few uh, shorter runs. Nathan McKinnon is third in NHL history in points per game. He trails Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. So playoff Nate is a thing, and it's it's going to be a damn good thing given the way he ended his regular season. I'm not going to shoot 2% forever, he once said. Um <laughs> The other thing is, and uh, this was kind of more of a desperation move when it happened and the guy was playing pretty damn hot, but do you remember who finished on that left wing with McKinnon and Rantanen last year against Vegas? Because it wasn't Landeskog, it was Brandon Saad. So we've seen this before. We've seen Landeskog play away from Nate. Last year was more of a desperation move. Bednar was trying to shake things up in that series against the Vegas Golden Knights. This time around... Landeskog, hell of a season, twenty or thirty goals, twenty nine assists, and fifty two games. He'll be ready to rock eventually, but um, I, I like where he's going with this, especially given the fact that playoff Nate is an absolute animal, and I think it'll be fun to have Nichushkin get a chance to play with playoff Nate because regular season Nichushkin this year was so fun and so good, and he ended strong, and now he's gonna play with playoff Nate and just be like, holy shit, like this guy's gonna earn me a million dollars just for the points I'm gonna put up in a game or two with him. And I know you don't want to disrespect your opponent and look too far ahead. You know, you want to look at the, the next game and make sure you're taking care of business in front of you. But I also think there might be an element of Jared Bednar not wanting to show all of his cards too early in the playoffs, right? Not give the other teams that he might face down the road too much yeah. film to study or too many looks at what they're going to be throwing at him. So, um, you know, I think there's an element that you kind of have to juggle, right? A fine line between... Uh, you know, playing with your absolute best strategy and structures and also, you know, keeping a respect for your opponent. Yeah, I can see that. That That's, uh, I, I don't doubt that either. Um, I also think that you don't want to get, like you said, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. Nothing is guaranteed. But the Avalanche do have the upper hand against the Nashville Predators. And even if it's, I don't know, 1-1 going into game three in Nashville, like I still don't think there's going to be much of a worry. I just don't expect the Avalanche to struggle in this series uh we remember the avalanche played the national predators in 2018 and it was flip-flopped Nashville was the number one and colorado was the second wildcard team that just barely scraped into the playoffs on the last day um that was a 3-2 series going into game six and it never at any point felt like Nashville was in trouble like it took that crazy ass you know nothing but guts final minute with andrew hammond in that for the avalanche to even force a game six like they shouldn't have gotten there so that would be a worst-case scenario for the Avalanche in the series. But um, I think the biggest thing for me right now is the fact that UC Soros, it's looking like he might not play. 
if he shows up in game one, it wouldn't surprise me because hockey players are fucking wackos. But it's looking more and more like UC Saros isn't going to play in this series. And if that's the case, like Peter and I just talked about how much of how much confidence you have in your if you're Nashville and David Riddick. I think the problem is that David Riddick has all the confidence in the world in himself, right? And that's <laughs> yeah. what you want out of a goaltender. I, I, I know UC Saros, and if he's not playing in this series at all, it's a big detriment to the Predators. But, you know, and, and you heard a lot of people saying that once Saros went down, right? You heard a lot of people saying, hey, if Saros is out, now I think I'd like the Avalanche to play Nashville so that way they have a little easier of a path. But you know that those players hear that. You know David Riddick sees that stuff yeah. on Twitter if he's on social media. But you know, some way or another, he bumps into that. You know Matt Duchesne, you know Ryan Johansson. They have a talented squad. So the last thing you want to do is fuel their fire and let them, I guess, take any advantages in the psychological side of the game. Just go in there, take care of business, put your foot on their, their throat, and never take it off. That's the only way you can really go about this series, in my opinion, because giving these guys yeah. confidence is going to only hurt you bad. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen the Avalanche over the last couple of years do exactly that in the first round. They didn't take the St. Louis Blues lightly. They sure as shit did not take the Arizona Coyotes lightly. They scored every goal they possibly could on that team, and they came out 8-1 in those two series combined. So I think it's going to be something similar to that. Like, nothing about the way that the Blues played last year said, you know, in the regular season, I should say, said that the Avalanche should be scared of them in the first round of the playoffs. But... When they got there, the Avalanche didn't take them lightly, even a little bit. And and you're going to kind of see that here, too. Dave Riddick has all the confidence in the world, but at some point, confidence only gets you so far, and uh, the skill's going to have to take over. And um, this isn't the Dave Riddick from Calgary. You know, he's taken a few steps back in his career since then. And last year, do you even remember where he played last year in the playoffs? Or what team he was on, I should say? No, you stumped me. Yeah, because nobody remembers this. He was Toronto Maple Leafs' third goalie last year. They acquired him at the deadline. Oh, wow. Yeah, they acquired him at the deadline. He played behind Freddie Anderson and uh, Jack Campbell and just wasn't really good. He wasn't good at all. They needed to use him at some points because, you know, Freddie Anderson was dealing with injuries and Jack Campbell was in and out. Dave Riddick wasn't very good in the regular season. He wasn't very good for them. And when Nashville signed them, people were kind of like, okay, so Pekka Rene retired and this is your backup? Like, it was a very strange move to make. They put a lot of eggs in the UC Soros basket and it paid off, but now he's out. And I'm saying this all the while knowing that I can get clipped if the Avalanche blow this because all it takes is four, five, six, or seven very hot games, a good two weeks from a goalie like David Riddick, and you lose. Or Connor Ingram, who, you know, isn't, a very big household name, but neither was Jordan Bennington once upon a time. Weird shit happens in the NHL. But all in all, when you look at the grand scheme of things, no UC Soros means big edge for the Avalanche on top of what was already considered a bigger edge. I know for myself, maybe some other Avalanche fans and some of our listeners out there have this as well, but I have the image burned into my brain of David Riddick having his hands up in the air <laughs> as Johnny Goudreau gets the puck to go score on uh, on the Avalanche in overtime. So I love that. No lack of confidence there from from David Riddick in my Absolutely opinion, and that's not. where I get that. So maybe you know maybe there's more to it than that, but I th and maybe that picture and that image just holds a little bit too much weight in my um, opinion making here. But I think there's something to be said for uh, David Riddick. I think he's not going to be a goalie that's just going to lay down and yeah. let the Avalanche dominate him. But yeah. um, moving on, let's get into the Matt Duchesne storyline here, right? I guess 
where do you stand on it? You know, I was at the Denver Nuggets playoff game a couple weeks ago, right? The really bad one that was at home. They lost. <laughs> it was embarrassing. And the crowd was booing Andre Ugudala. And as they were booing him, there's some other Warriors fans there saying, like, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with the Andre yeah, yeah, Iguodala yeah. situation, yep, but he played in Denver, asked to get traded to the Warriors after playing them in the playoffs. So there's Warriors fans sitting behind me saying, why are they still booing him? This was eight years ago already. So to tie it back to Matt Duchesne and the Colorado Avalanche, at what point do you think Matt Duchesne stops getting booed? Does he still get booed throughout this playoffs? And what do you expect him to do? in terms of a performance-wise, coming off the biggest year of his career? I mean, they booed him on Thursday, so I think they're going to boo him on Tuesday. <laughs> like, that's just the reality. The Avalanche Not are going to Not much is going to change in a week, right? Exactly, yeah. So they're they're going to boo him. Um, should they? I mean, who cares? Booing doesn't hurt anybody. You're not... As long as you're not throwing any kind of over-the-line racial or crazy slurs at anybody or any kind of like derogatory comments boo all you want like that's it it's it's fun sports are fun and that's that's part of the fun uh and i be i bet you anything matt duchene embraces it too now like i talked about with peter my favorite part about this is the fact that matt duchene is at the height of his powers the avalanche last year faced the st louis blues and at the height of his powers, Ryan O'Reilly. He had his best regular season last year. He had 24 goals in 56 games. He was well on a 35-goal pace, which you never see from him. His, his career high is 28. So they got Ryan O'Reilly at the height of his powers. They're going to get Matt Duchesne, 43 goals, 43 assists, 86-point Matt Duchesne in the playoffs in the first round this year. And like Peter joked, you know, that probably means the Winnipeg Jets and Paul Stassi will play the Avalanche in the first round next year. So, um... It's great to see that Dutchie's having this good of a season. He's a stand-up guy. He's a lot of fun to talk to. He's so he's 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 matured beyond belief since that night against the New York Islanders where he left as Blake Como was coming off the ice. I watched a couple of videos of that the other day and it was as surreal watching it in 2022 as it was in November of 2017. Like it was a really crazy moment to see that happen. Matt Duchesne was 26. He's now 31. And let's not forget how far they've come from the Seattle expansion draft, right? I mean, everybody was looking at them like, oh, hopefully for Nashville's sake, either one of Johansson yeah. or Matt Duchesne yeah. gets taken because they suck together and that, that seems terrible and they're not going to do anything this year. And look, look at all of us with egg on our face now. I hope I don't stump you again. Do you remember who they ended up taking from Nashville? After the long weekend I've had, I'm easily stumped. The right boy, now. boy, Cali, according to Marshawn Lynch, now part owner of the Seattle Kraken. <laughs> that was like the highlight of the expansion draft. The boy, 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 boy. Cali. He looked at the name and said, I ain't pronouncing this. It's the boy, boy, Cali. <laughs> part owner of the Seattle yep. Kraken now. Yeah, doing donuts on a Zamboni in the middle of an ice <laughs> rink. Love it. Um, but yeah, so that's my favorite part of the Matt Duchesne storyline is look, man. Let's not act like Duchesne isn't licking his chops to get at the series. Ryan O'Reilly was last year, but Ryan O'Reilly also went into that series with like, uh, yeah, let me go beat the Avalanche. I already got a Smythe Trophy and a Stanley Cup. I can flex on you. Duchesne doesn't have nothing. He hasn't won anything. He's made it out of the first round once. He, you know, barely made the playoffs last year, lost to the Carolina Hurricanes. This is a team that drafted him that now everybody is saying is a Stanley Cup favorite. In a big part, thanks to the fact that Bowen Byram and Sam Gerrard are on the blue line because of Matt Duchesne asking out of the Avalanche. 
he's licking his chops to get at the abs. It's going to be so fun to watch. You know, he still keeps in touch with some of those guys and it's going to be fun to see it. Like I'm, I'm so excited for the series and I'm excited to see Matt Duchesne. Like his, again, like when he got traded, I'm not going to sit there and pretend I was his biggest fan by any means, but seeing him talk lately and, you know, seeing him guest on some of the podcasts, like the one I mentioned with Peter, where, where he's talking about, you know, where he is now and his mindset, it's, he's a different person. He's 31. When I was 26, I was a fucking child. I'm 28 now. I'm not even 31 yet. And I already see a difference. I already feel a difference. Like there is a big difference between the Matt Duchesne that was in Denver and who he is now. And, um, I'm excited, but all the while, I'm sitting here standing up for Matt Duchesne trying to have this like redemption tour for him of being a good person. Boo the fuck out of him if that's what makes you happy because it's going to be so fun. The arena is going to be electric. I want to hear the fans, the passion, the emotion, and that's part of it. Booing Matt Duchesne is part of the emotion of being an Avalanche fan, and I'm all for it. Again, don't cross the line. Have fun with it. You paid for a ticket. You can boo whoever you want to, and there's no reason to stop. I know Iguodala has been eight years. Matt Duchesne's only been five, uh, not even five yet, four and a half years since he got traded. Have fun with it. Boo it. It's fun. And, you know, from Matt Duchesne's point of view, it's going to be extra salt into the wound when he loses to Colorado. <laughs> but I think there's just, from Avs fans, there's always going to be a stigma around Matt Duchesne. I mean, there, there's definitely a respect there of his talent and skill, but I think he'll always be thought of as soft around here, right? And you look at this year that he had, and it's kind of the epitome of that. He, he has an amazing year, scores the most goals of his career, and ends the season with getting tossed by Milan Lucic. And I feel like, much like the David Riddick image I was talking about being burned into our brain, I feel like that, that one. Lucic hit is now going to be burned in our brain for <laughs> a very long time. Maybe they're excited that they didn't get the Nashville Predators because of that. Milan Lucic is a bully. Like, he's an animal. I, I still have ingrained in my head an image of Lucic grabbing Landeskog by the collar and trying to goad him into a fight. And even giving him a couple jabs where, like, if you're Landeskog, your ego is getting shot. And Gabe is sitting there like, nope, not doing it. Not even not even going to hesitate to think about this. So I get it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like, the thing with Duchesne for me is, like, the idea of Duchesne and his tenure with the Avalanche is this super skilled guy that was supposed to be the savior, rightfully or wrongfully, that was overtaken in terms of quality of player by the guy that was drafted in the second round and Ryan O'Reilly ended up getting paid more than Ryan O'Reilly, which led to the Ryan O'Reilly contract situation. And then it all is epitomized by the big cheer. What's that? The Patrick Waugh <laughs> when Matt Duchesne scored his 30th goal and Patrick called him out in the media for basically being selfish for celebrating in a game where they were down four to one or five to one or whatever to St. Louis. So that's kind of the Matt Duchesne era here. It was he's going to be the savior, and it ended up being all about him, which isn't the case, but it's just the way, the perception of the situation and how it all unfolded, and then him wanting out. Like, he was mentally drained by the end of his tenure here, um, rightfully or wrongfully so, whether he had a, you know, whether he was in the right or wrong for wanting what he wanted, he still had a right to ask for it. And Joe Sackick had a right to also stretch it out as long as he did and get the most he possibly can, which he did. But the Matt Duchesne era in Colorado is is a sour era. This was a kid that was going to be the savior that ended up being nothing more than a guy that would get traded less than a decade later, was overtaken by the kid drafted 33rd overall in Ryan O'Reilly, overtaken by the kid taken two years later that became the captain in Gabe Landeskog, and way surpassed by the kid taken four years later in Nathan McKinnon. 
He went from being the savior to the fifth most important piece of all those guys. As we head into playoff hockey and the physicality gets turned up and the post-whistle scrums get turned up, I'm anticipating excitedly on who Matt Duchesne gets tied up with here and there and how violent it actually gets. Yeah, and uh, I think we're going to see a couple of tie-ups of Matt Duchesne and Eric Johnson. We all remember what Eric <laughs> said about him when he walked out, and if he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't have to be here or whatever. If, if a guy doesn't want to be here, he shouldn't or whatever. Um, but there's going to be some guys that are going to get in his face. Like Think of the the newer guys like Arturi Lekanen, like JT Confer. I know him and Duchesne played together for a couple games, but think of those newer guys, those feisty in the crease guys. Those are going to be the ones getting in Duchesne's face the most. And, and you know, don't discount Nathan McKinnon either. It's going to be a lot of fun. Duchesne gets into those dirty areas. That's what makes him good at what he does. So he's going to be saying hello to a lot of old teammates and newer guys that he's unaware of. Right. There's been a ton of turnover since yeah, then too, right? Exactly. So people who really have no feelings one way or another are just going to bring playoff hockey intensity yep. and try to try to hurt him. In a minor way, not enough to get him out of the, <laughs> out of the playoffs, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that brings me to the last storyline that you and Peter were diving into. Let's dive into it a little deeper, and that's the Roman Yossi versus Kale McCarr watch here. Obviously, the two Norris Trophy candidates that we're keeping an eye on here, and just two potent defensemen that know how to acquire points and just be big pieces of the offensive production. So, um, I guess, what are you looking for when you're when you're watching these two and um, h- how do the Avalanche kind of keep Yossi at bay? How do they keep him from being too much of a detrimental piece? All right, let me try to say this without jumbling up my brain. The best defense is a good offense. So the Avalanche's best offense, or sorry, the Avalanche's best defense on the offense of Nashville's best defenseman is a good offense. <laughs> so keep the puck away from Yossi. He doesn't play shorthanded minutes like Kale McCarr does. Keep the puck away from Yossi. Keep the puck in Nashville's zone and keep Yossi chasing. Don't let Yossi be the offensive juggernaut he is. Force him to be the defensive juggernaut he is. That is the best way to stop Roman Yossi. Kale McCarr, on the other hand, the difference between where Yossi is and where McCarr is is, let's face it, McCarr's got a much better support system. I know Yossi, I know Duchesne's got 43 goals and 43 assists, and Philip Forsberg's in the 40s as well, and they got Tanner Janot, one of the best rookies in the NHL, and they got Ryan Johansson with a bit of a redemption season. But the reality is, Kale McCarr does not need to be the best player on the Avalanche. He most, most of the time is, but he doesn't need to be the best player on the Avalanche for them to win. Roman Yossi does. Stopping Roman Yossi and uh, putting him at bay is to force him to be a defenseman and not let him show his offensive prowess. And with Roman Yossi, he got just under 40% of his points this year on the power play. We know that in the playoffs, the the penalties tend to go down, the discipline goes up. So as long as the Avalanche don't give him too many power play opportunities, I think they'll have a good good shot at shutting him down and and making him not be too effective, not letting him be a difference maker. Obviously, he's going to get out there, he's going to do his thing. But as long as he's not a game changer, you're golden. Yeah, and the, the Avalanche did not really have the best penalty kill this season in the regular season, um, and that's something that they're going to need to be very careful with, especially going up against someone like Yossi, and then obviously Duchesne and Forsberg, who score a lot on the power play. Well, right on. I guess uh, this is a good place to stop for the playoff preview, right? I'm excited. I think we previewed it well. Arif, I guess let the listeners know what our plan for the week in terms of uh, putting out some podcasts during the, the start of the series here. 
Yeah, we're going to we're going to look to get some post gamers after game 1 and 2 from Ball Arena. I don't know if Peter will join us for every episode, but we'll try to get him in when we can. And then after game 3 next weekend, we will shoot for a longer episode to talk about the next or the first three games of the series in general. That game three Saturday is going to be pretty early in the day. Peter will be in Nashville, so maybe we can call him in as well. Three podcasts coming next week. A lot of content, a lot of previews, a lot of post-game recaps, a lot of cool stories. The content is going to get wrapped up immensely. We took a little bit of a step back in April so that we can take two steps forward in May, and I'm so pumped for it. Absolutely. So uh, not much time to breathe here. Abs go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday. So every other day it's yep. going to be All seven fun. games are scheduled like that. Strap in. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get through these uh, this first round here. But that's exactly what it is. You got to get through it before you get past it, right? Start yep. looking looking beyond. So let's get it going. I'm excited. Playoff time is here. Mr. Sackick's awake, and so am I, and I'm here for it. So, um, Arif, I'll see you at Ball Arena, and uh, let's keep making some great content. And thank you, listeners, for consuming that content. I mean, obviously, this would be kind of pointless if you guys didn't like what we do. So thanks to everybody out there listening to us. Thanks to Peter Ball for giving us the update from Ball Arena. And, uh, yeah, I guess if you made it this far on the podcast, definitely a long one. Bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we got you.